Listener Production. Jessness! Hello, Canberra. I gotta tell you, I'm not a drunk enough for what we just did. <laughs> You guys Holy are the first Moses. people in the world to see that. Yeah, no one has ever seen that but us. <laughs> the amount of rehearsal. Oh, yes, yeah, so please continue to condescend to us. <sighs> I've honestly lost 10 kgs in the last month rehearsing that and I still got that fat upper pussy era to contend with, so... How are we feeling, Canberra? I love that the Queen's about to die, World War III's about to start, but we're all here. Yay! For this. Cheers! Cheers! Oh, and we're the only ones who don't have to wear a mask. <laughs> so where do we begin? I suppose we should explain how tonight's going to run. So we only did this show where? We did... Um, we did Adelaide and Melbourne last year and then COVID. Yeah, COVID kicked in again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we haven't really been anywhere with this show and we've at this dance number was not part of last year's... It was not part of 1.0. 2.0 of the show is is the goods. Um, there's a very unimpressed gentleman right front and centre who that whole first 10 minutes would have been lost on. <laughs> But we basically said, look, we're drama school dropouts, we are like 2000s teenagers, and if we have a stage and a spotlight, we are putting on a high school talent show dance, if ever there was one. Rock a step, so. <laughs> Why not? Yes. So, And now that's out of the way, we'll get to the talking. Yeah, so the, the talking, that we do. the stories. Yeah, we also have to do that, which mm. we forgot. Because I'm, as you can see, we're both ready for bed after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a slog. And I only made one tiny little mistake. Did you? Yeah. In which bit? Oh, the uh, bit back there. It's oh. fine. I went too early. Oh. I was too eager. It's all right. We'll iron it out. Yeah, we'll iron it out. We'll iron it out. Right. No, but uh, whatever. So um, we're going to do some breaking news. Yeah, well, well, we do breaking news and then because we figure, like, we read the reviews and we know some of you hate my weeks and some of you hate his weeks. And so we didn't want people to turn up and be like, oh, no, I got a Rosie one. <laughs> Or, oh, I got a Jacob. <laughs> oh, but Rosie interrupts his whole time anyway, so <laughs> what does it matter? But um, so we're each going to do a little story for mm -hmm. you. So it'll be a little shorter than usual for time, but mm -hmm. you're going to get one from me, one from Jacob. Uh -huh. But first, shall we do a little... <gasps> breaking news, breaking news, I got the scoop, I see extra, extra, read all about it, breaking news, it's coming down the wire, I'm a cultural icon. <laughs> about to become a cult leader, yes. You have missed that. I really have missed that. <laughs> it was a shock of my life when we did our first live show and people joined in on it. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they love it after all. <laughs> But then we were like, no, I remember at one show I was like, oh, I'll ask. And so before I did it, I was like, so you guys know what's coming next. Now look, not that you'd admit it while I'm sitting here, but is there anyone in here who hates the breaking news song? <laughs> Several people put their hands up. <laughs> like in front of my face. Go on a Reddit thread or something. Jesus. Cruel much. So Rosie made the crowd sing it extra loud. Yeah, I did. 
that, that person. Mm -hmm. I got them all to direct it in her direction. <laughs> okay, hold on, here we go. What am I looking at? Oh, okay, oh, this came out today. Gender dynamics, why are men? I hate everyone. It was announced today. Uh, uh, like, I think it's on Apple TV. A new TV series mm -hmm. is coming out. Emmy Rossum aged 35, mm -hmm. will be playing Tom Holland's mother, aged 25. <laughs> Get fucked. Shut up. Get absolutely colossally oh, fucked. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because, so she was, she just spent the last 10 years on this amazing show I love called Shameless, which I always say to people is one of the only shows that really is like an accurate representation of my childhood. Mm. And um, she was kind of like the sexy, young, like daughter, like, you know. Ingenue, right? Yeah, like the late teens, early 20s, looking after the family. And then she left the show to go on to other things and it's like, boom, 35 mother to 25 year old. Wow. She's over the hill. I know. Wow. And I'm 35 mm. and I have this secret TV project coming out that I'm not allowed to talk about, but I keep like dropping details. And in the show, I'm playing a 30 year old. So I am like Botoxing it up. I'm mm. panicking big time. <laughs> but also, if she's 35 and he's 25, like that means I'm pretty close to, by Hollywood standards, being able to play Caleb's mother in a, in a movie. <laughs> You're even closer than she is. No. Well, Caleb's what, 22? Yeah. Mm, by Hollywood yeah, standards. Yeah, my boyfriend's 22. <laughs> Going on 65. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's that. Um, and then I've got this next one that I need to go to the screenshots in my phone for. Now, this, like, I only saw it on uh, Instagram the other day, but from what I understand, it came out in around 2018, but... I only just saw it, so mm. too bad. I'm not Gen Z, I'm not up with the kids. I, I'm not down with the latest things. It's just a very funny Twitter thread that I wanna read to you about a man who witnessed a horrific crime in his mm. office. Oh, okay. Okay, here we go. Coworker got his lunch stolen and they've agreed to let him watch. If you know it, don't give it away. <laughs> It's all in the dramatic reading anyway. <laughs> Coworker got his lunch stolen and they've agreed to let him watch the security camera tape. <laughs> this is the most excited I've ever been at my job ever, <laughs> ever. Man, if you've worked any, any, any job, retail, off, like I've mainly done retail, call centre and this, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I've had a shared fridge, mm -hmm. so I get it. You get the dynamics, I right? get the okay. dynamics, I get it. Uh -huh. Okay, the lunch in question was shrimp fried rice, which means this escalates from a misdemeanour to a felony, no doubt. <laughs> Case facts. Lunch was in fridge for less than an hour before it vanished. Ooh. No shrimp smell remnants in the microwave or kitchen area. This was a professional hit, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> Holy shit, he's back. He watched the tape. He knows who did it. Oh. <laughs> so the man whose lunch was stolen, just everyone imagine in your office or workplace right now, mm. imagine the people mm. you work with. Yeah, you know, you're thinking about it. 
So the man whose lunch was stolen sits across from me. The person who stole his lunch sits right next to me. She left for the day before the investigation started. According to the video, this psychopath didn't even eat the food. She took it out of the fridge and threw and buried it in the trash. Okay, so no, here's where I have an interjection. He did something. He did something shitty to her. Totally, yeah, obviously. Like he, this is this, a revenge yeah, hit. This is a revenge hit. Yeah. I feel like what this guy is missing in this tweet thread, calling her a psychopath, no. What did that male psychopath do to that woman to make her throw out his shrimp fried rice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Her motives remain completely unknown. Yeah, because you're a dude and you don't even have to think about it. <laughs> he would have he been gross or uh, who knows. Like mansplained something really obvious yeah. to her. In lieu of what he saw in the tape, he has decided to not press the matter anymore. Ah, because he knows. Ah. As soon as he saw who it was, he's like, yeah, I pinched her butt once or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he yep. knows. Mm-hmm. He knows. She had a right to do what she did. I can't say I blame him. We don't know what this woman's fully capable of. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> Points to clarify. He bought the fried rice around 11.30 a.m. and put it in the fridge to chill until he takes lunch at noon. Why would you let rice chill before you eat it? Mm. He's clearly deranged. Not right. So she had exactly a 30-minute window of time to do what she did. There was no intention of microwaving the food. Update. So when Dude watched the video with HR, they asked, what do you want to do about it? He told them he was solely interested in who did it, but that he didn't want to be responsible for someone getting fired. Uh Yes, someone you've wronged. Mm -hmm. After charges were dropped, HR sent a company-wide email (laughs) about not stealing people's lunches. (laughs) She is scheduled to arrive at work in 20 minutes. My blood is on cocaine. (laughs) She has walked into the room and the room is dead silent. Dead fucking silent, yet there is a palpable explosive energy pulsing through everyone but her. (laughs) From the moment she walked in, I've just been staring at her, watched her (laughs) open her email and now she clicked on the goddamn HR email. Holy fuck, strap in, here we go. (laughs) I can't move, I simply cannot move. Anything could happen right now. I tell you what, if this had happened in the David Jones call centre when I was there pretending to answer the oh, phone... You'd still be talking about it today. There were two old ladies called Sharon and Karen and they would have... And, and that is absolute... I'm dead serious. And they sat next to each other and they were best friends, Shaz and Kaz. They would have been on the fucking case. This would have been all we talked about for months at DJ's head office. Okay. After seeing the HR email, she says out loud... Whoa, someone stole a lunch? (laughs) Who would do something like that? (laughs) I may have to run out of this room. After she said that, Shrimp Guy responds, well, yeah, it's not okay to throw someone's food away. We're all about to start screaming. (laughs) This shit's about to get crazier. After he says that, she goes, oh, it was your lunch? (laughs) And then she goes... Well, why would you go to HR about that? Oh, <laughs> what? She has simultaneously denied her involvement and called the guy who saved her job a snitch. Dude just sighed and went back to work after she said what she said. She looks frighteningly calm. Mm. 
<laughs> I'll keep updating if anything else occurs, but all I can say is that everyone in the office, from the janitor to the founder, knows what she did. She now carries an invisible scarlet letter. This is real. This is happening. We know who did it, but we don't know why. She's been sitting three feet away from me this whole time. Unbeknownst to the guy and the woman, I just ordered three shrimp fried rice plates for lunch and will be hand delivering them to everyone at their desks. She took the fried rice from me with a big smile on her face. She's eating it and loving it. This is utter ruthlessness. I love shrimp fried rice, she says out loud. I wish I could close this up with a neat little bow, but it appears that we may never know why she did it. Maybe she doesn't know why she did it. Yes, she fucking does. <laughs> Either way, I'm now forced to work 40 hours a week next to a cold-blooded individual. And then someone replied to that tweet thread, she'll be CEO one day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she fucking will. She knows how to win a mind game. She knows. It's all in the dramatic reading. It's all in the dramatic reading. There were several times in my old life at <laughs> the office I worked at where I was called in to review security footage of people doing <gasps> the wrong thing. People just forget they're being monitored all the time. Even when you're stealing. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. Yeah. I barely jaywalk without panicking. Like the brazenness of it. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, it did, was you, wild. did you bust people? Oh, yeah, a couple of times. Is that really satisfying? Yeah, one time I got to be like. acquitted because the wrong person was accused. <gasps> mm. But that's not as fun as going, them saying, no, I didn't do it, and then going, cut to footage. <laughs> you know, that's what. Did roll you ever do tape. that? Yeah, roll oh, tape. Yes, we did. Yes. Roll tape. Mm. That's what I would want to do. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more bit of breaking news. Mm hmm. This one I love. So I read this thing um, on Instagram the other day and it said, if you ever want to feel good about yourself on a crappy day, mm. what you should do is look in the mirror and pretend like you're Steve Irwin talking to a great little snake he just found in the <laughs> desert and that's you. So you, like I would look at you and go, oh, you bloody redhead ripper. <laughs> you Beautiful, tan, dulcet, toned Adonis. Holy dooly. <laughs> Those are some beautiful legs. You don't see that often, do you? Holy bloody dooly, ripper Tanarino. <sighs> and then you kind of get a bit of a spring in your step. I'm ready to take on the world now. Do me. So you're saying it to yourself in the mirror? Yeah, do oh, me, do, do me. You. Yeah. Oh, hello, crikey, you sweaty little angel, you. <laughs> Look at that smooth, supple, skinny. Right. You're, <laughs> you're glowing, you're radiant, you're stunning. Yeah. That smile lights up the room, yeah. the stage. Yeah, thanks. Is that enough? Yeah, and then, like, catch me in a uh, net. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and haul me off. Grab you by the tail and yeah. wiggle you around a bit. Yeah. Mm. So if you're ever feeling a bit down in the dumps, there you go. Just talk to yourself like Steve Irwin would talk to a little croc or a snake he just found in the desert. What a gift. Yeah, what a gift. Mm. And that was... Breaking news! God, I haven't had a sip of this and that's a travesty. Round of applause for breaking news. I'm going to try that Steve Irwin thing. I think it's really good. I haven't seen footage of him for so long. I oh, it's all just hooly dooly, ripperino, crikey, mm. 
holy dooly. Mm -hmm. Just all of those. So you're going first? I'm going first. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm being served right now. Yeah, you don't. I haven't, I haven't, oh wait, talking to the microphone, Rosie. <sighs> okay, here we go. Um, I am going to give you just the gist of the unluckiest, luckiest man to mm. have ever lived, Frano Solak. Mm. He's Croatian, I think this is how they talk. Uh huh. <laughs> I dated Serbian boy once, his mother hated me and she talked to me like this, hello Rosie. Yeah, you sound like Djokovic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Frano Solak was a Croatian man born in 1929. And he was a pretty regular guy. He worked at a music teacher, pretty just middle-class dude mm. growing up in, and working and getting married in Croatia. Uh, in 1962, he's 33, and he's travelling on a train from Sarajevo to Dubrovnik. It was the middle of the night. It's mm. freezing cold. It's raining. It's really bad weather. All of a sudden, while going around, like, the corner of a sort of mountain with a canyon below, mm. that sounds... Correct. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Um, the train derailed and it flew off the tracks and crashed into a river down below. Mm -hmm. And Frano says he doesn't know who it was. It was kind of pandemonium, but somebody pulled him through like a broken window and he was able to swim through this icy cold river, <gasps> get to shore, mm -hmm. and he's rescued. And he had only really suffered a broken arm and some hypothermia, but he was fine. Uh -huh. 17 people died in that train accident, so he was very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. A year later... In 1963, Frano gets word that his mother is very, very ill, so he needs to get to her fast, which means taking a plane. And, you know, he's probably a bit mm -hmm. off trains at this point. Mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so this is 1963, so plane travel's not super usual for regular music teacher, middle-class men. It's not really usual for most people, but Frano really needs to get to his mum ASAP. Mm -hmm. So he goes to the airport. Remember when you used to just go to the airport and book your ticket like you were boarding a bus? No, mm. we don't remember. But remember in Mad Men, that was yeah. Shows, we've seen yes. it. We've seen it mm. depicted. So he goes to the airport and he tries to book a seat, but the flight is sold out. But he kind of explains his situation and how sick his mother is, and they feel kind of sorry for him. So they say, "Okay, we'll sell you a seat, but you have to sit up the very back of the plane on that little bench next to the flight attendant, where mm -hmm. the flight attendant sits." And he was like, "Yes, fine, good. I just need to get to my mother." Um, Frano said later in interviews that the flight went totally smoothly. It even made him realise, like, think, oh, my gosh, like, why did I ever take that train? Planes everywhere all the time. This mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, right up until they were almost at their destination. All of a sudden, the rear door right next to where he and the flight attendant were sitting no. flies off. No. Just uh, flies off into uh, the sky, like, goes full on like that cow in Twister. Just... <laughs> And Frano quoted later, one minute we were drinking tea and the next minute the door ripped open <gasps> and she was sucked into mid-air. Oh. Oh. Shortly followed by me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he gets sucked out of a plane. The next thing he remembers is waking up in hospital. Mm. The plane had crashed. All 19 pas passengers and crew had died but Frano had survived because he landed in a massive haystack. Stop. In no. A field. No. Yeah. No serious injuries. 
<laughs> Literally, the odds of landing in a haystack is like finding a needle no in a kidding. haystack. It really is. Yeah. Wow. So that's two major disasters in two years. Uh-huh. It really is like getting struck by lightning. Like, what are the odds yeah, yeah, yeah. of that? We've had train, we've had plane. It's got to be an automobile next. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> the odds are about to get crazier because three years later, Frano Salak is travelling on a bus uh-huh. which skids off the road and also crashes into a river. <laughs> Four people died, but I feel like maybe he'd picked up some skills in that train crash, mm-hmm. so he knew to, like, get out a window, mm-hmm. and he swam to safety, and he came out of it with only minor cuts and bruises. After this, Frano appears to swear off public transportation completely. Smart He's call. Like, yeah. Smart move. If I'm not behind the wheel, get effed. So he gets himself a car, and three blissful, accident-free years follow. Uh-huh. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> in 1970, he's driving down the freeway when flames start coming out of his car's engine. Oh, no. He manages to pull over and get out of the car just in time to see the entire front section of the car explode into flames. (laughs) He comes away unscathed in that explosion, and I need to specify that explosion because three years later... It happens again. Frano is driving down the freeway in his own car when what they later learn is a malfunctioning fuel pump douses the engine in hot oil, which causes flames to suddenly start shooting into the front (gasps) section of the car where he's sitting. He hurls himself out of the car as quickly as he can, but not before all of his hair is completely singed off his head and face. Yikes. Now, surely... Surely that's the end. No. Frano had been through enough. Mm -hmm. He was quoted later saying that there came a stage where I was lucky to have any friends at all. (laughs) Many stopped seeing me saying I was bad karma. Well, he's not good karma. But here's the thing. It's lucky, it's unlucky, but also lucky. He's the only one surviving all this shit. Yeah, but you don't want to be one of the bystanders surrounding him because they don't seem to well, fare so well. because a neighbour later said, put it like this, if I heard Frana had booked a flight or a train, I would cancel. I would say, sorry, friends, but with your bad luck, I just can't take the risk. And Frano did, thankfully, get a bit of a break from mm. his freakish run of bad luck. For 22 years, Frano is not involved in any accidents. And you kind of think, yeah, like, good. Like, he's had his fill. Mm-hmm. He met his quota of the universe's bad luck in mm-hmm. accidents. Like, if the universe is all checks and balances, then he's had more than his fair share. Rather, yeah. yes. Yeah. He's, he's been he's, greedy, if anything. Yes, he's yeah. been greedy. So he's starting to feel good. He's starting to feel safe. Like, surely nothing will happen to him. That would just be freaky. And that's when the universe says, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> Frano, age 66, is walking down the street in Zagreb, the capital of Croatia. Mm. When he's hit by a bus. (laughs) And he sustains only minor injuries, but is otherwise fine. Okay. I I know now that if there's like even one more accident, it's going to sound ridiculous. And this story is a little ridiculous. (laughs) But at this point, 
get this. He decides to go and buy a Segway. Ah! <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, everyone, take it. Just talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> he made me promise not to mention that word. <laughs> All right, all right. We're on stage. This is live. Go, 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 go. No, he didn't buy a Segway. <laughs> but there is one more. <laughs> Don't ruin your makeup. Go, go, go. Okay. You see how it's actually real? He's never putting it on. He cannot handle it. Okay. There's one more accident. One more accident. Uh-huh. In 1996, mm-hmm. age 67, Frano is driving on the freeway and he swerves to avoid colliding with a truck on a pretty tight mountain curve. He misses the truck, but he crashes into the guardrail that stops you from going mm. over the cliff. But because he's not wearing a seatbelt, he's thrown from the car <gasps> and he crashes, his body sort of crashes into this tree. And as he hits the tree, the guardrail breaks and the car goes over the cliff while he's clinging to the tree. Stop. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, I really thought this was going to be the one that got him. And I was like, of all people to not wear a seatbelt, buddy, you should have known better. I know. But he knew better than anyone. I know. Oh. Frano Selec has now, in his life, survived a plane crash, a train crash, a bus crash, two car explosions, being hit by a bus, and his own car going over a cliff. And this is why people called him the unluckiest, luckiest man in the mm. world. And I know what you're all thinking, he should buy a lottery ticket. Like, what the hell? He does. He wins. No! <laughs> million in the Croatian lottery. In 2002, age 73, Frano Selec wins the lottery. And this is how the world comes to learn about his incredible life story because there's a lot of media and Mm. he's doing interviews and the story goes like whatever 2002's version of viral is. Like... It's, we didn't really read news on the internet then, so no. I guess it kind of, from what I remember in, like, the West Wing, it gets picked up on the wires, on yeah. the wires, and then, you know, it's published in newspapers around the world. Yeah. But People's interest yeah. story on a current affair. Exactly. Tracy Grimshaw would have presented, yes. No, back then it was, what's her name with the gecko when Steve Irwin died? Remember? She wore the gecko badge and everyone was like, that's really disrespectful. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> Uh, he buys a couple of houses. He marries a woman 20 years younger than him. She is to be... Yeah, it's always that, isn't it? She is to be his fifth wife. He says, even my marriages were disasters. <laughs> but this one will last, I'm sure of that. He buys a chapel for his hometown because he wants to thank God for protecting him all these years, where I'm like, but if God has the power to protect you, why did he let you get into the accident right. in the first place? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, He says to media at the time, I just know there will be no more accidents. I'm going to enjoy my life now. I feel like I have been reborn. God has been watching over me all these years. The devil has moved on to torment someone else. 
tempting fate. Frano gave most of the money away to family and friends and lived a peaceful and most oh. importantly accident-free life oh. until he died in 2016, aged 87. Wow. Now, <laughs> there has been speculation that this story isn't true. Embellished. Embellished. Mm. It came around before the internet was really a huge thing and so it was kind of just accepted as news before you could look things up on like snopes.com mm. and verify if it was, um, you know, dodgy. But every reputable news place wrote about it. Like if you Google his name, there are archive stories in every major newspaper from across the world mm. and they just wrote it as fact. But none of the details of all the disasters could be verified. But Frano really did insist and also neighbours and friends who knew him his whole life said, yes, these things happened. So I, little, I did a little digging and I found out. Mm. So let's put it to a vote. Cheering, cheering. Who thinks Frano is telling the truth? Who thinks the story's made up? Oh, it's kind of even. Who thinks it's somewhere in between? It's all true. Oh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it is somewhere in between. Without verification, there's not really any proof, but, like... It, a lot of people in his life verified stuff. They have been able to sort of link what happened to disasters that had happened around the time. And they were like, well, he's old and maybe you couldn't remember the exact date. It's not like we had Facebook memories, you know what I mean? So it's just hard to verify things back then. But in 2012, the story was going around again and it was like getting posted on Facebook by different news sources who were writing about it. And a Facebook user claiming to be Frano's son commented on one of the posts saying, another media that copy all those lies, photos are fake, and none of that happened to my father. What am I, am I, am I <laughs> You've Arnold? gone full Schwarzenegger. I've gone Schwarzenegger. <laughs> After winning that jackpot, my dad, who, oh wait, I've lost it. <laughs> my dad, my, I'm trying to think of my ex-boyfriend's uh, cranky mother. <laughs> Rosie, hello Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> my dad, who dreamed of fame all his life, he found and paid local journalists to write about amazing life full of close encounters with death. Some foreign correspondents in Croatia copied story without checking any evidences or proofs. <laughs> Internet picked it up and Croatian hero was born. Old man make you journalists all fools. But even that post was said to unable to be verified. He only posted one time. They could never get in touch with him to find out if it was actually his son or who it was. And so it's kind of just left somewhere in the middle that we think... He did win the lottery and he did exist. He was a man who existed and won the lottery mm. and he may or may not have <laughs> cheated death many, many, many times. But I guess we'll never know. I want to see some receipts. I want to see a photo of the haystack. But there were no receipts back then. There were no receipts back there then. There has got to be a record of if a flight attendant was sucked out of a plane... <laughs> Because a door spontaneously flew off. That has to be somewhere on the public record. But surely, like, back then, like, you know, there's been wars since in Eastern Europe where things could have been lost. I mean, you don't know. 
It is true. Also, he could have just known about all these different disasters that could have actually happened and just done a And inserted it. Yeah, I was in that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But then if you were doing that, wouldn't you be like, I was on the Hindenburg? Like, you'd pick better ones. You'd pick more exciting ones. He went subtle. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Subtle. Pathological liars always know to go a bit subtle, Mm. don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, that was just the gist of Frano Solek. Brilliant. Do you know when you first started, I thought maybe you were going to tell the story of the Japanese man who survived the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Was that because of my bad accent or was that just because... Just when you said luckiest, unluckiest man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I did. um, We should do one on him. We will. Yes. Um, Well done. (sighs) Thank you. Thank you. So now it's my turn. And I'm going to go ahead and start off with a bit of a trivia question. Does anyone think they know who had the most number one hits in the United States in the year 1989? I wish. Turnback Time it. was released that year. It peaked at number three. Oh, eh, what? Disgraceful. Um, <sighs> any other guesses? Not Madonna. No. Um, she only had one in 89. It was like a prayer. One more. Who? Not Vanilla Ice. I'm not sure if he was out yet. The answer is actually a tie. In the first half of the year, Paula Abdul had three number one hits. Oh, two steps forward and two steps back. That, that was one, one of them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, she w- where she wanted to have sex with the cartoon it cat. It was not right. Yeah. Um, then in the second half of the year, this brand new rap pop duo that had just burst on the scene also had three hits and some of you are going right now because you're realising that I'm about to tell you the story of Millie Vanilli. And I can fully appreciate that there are probably a lot, maybe the majority in here of you have no idea who Millie Vanilli is or was. We've got some kids with the Z who are part of the new vibe. This happened more than 30 years ago so a lot of you weren't actually born. They were the hottest music act in the world for about two years and like I said they just appeared out of nowhere closest thing I can compare it to is when the Spice Girls came out with Wannabe in 1996 and we all just lost our minds and fell in love with them and it started off this mania Um, the duo was these two beautiful black men they were both in their early 20s they had these really elaborate gorgeous Mm. braids that matched these really chiseled abs their names were Robert and Fabrice not Millie Vanilli, first mm. thing I learned. Oh, I thought they were Millie and Vanilli. Same, oh. yeah. No, just they a made-up word salad name. Millie Va- they are very handsome. Oh, stunning. Yeah, very um, handsome Very good dancers, super charismatic on stage. They were great performers. One of them was French, one of them was German. They had this sort of exotic vibe going on. So they became idols all around the world. They sold 14 million copies of their album, which stayed at number one on the Billboard chart for seven weeks, the longest of any album that year. They sold 33 million singles. They won three American Music Awards and the Grammy for Best New Artist in 1990. They were on top of the music world. And then the world found out that they had not sung or rapped a single syllable (laughs) on any of their songs the entire time they'd been in the public eye. Okay, so this is this is the depth of my knowledge of Millie Vanilli. Mm-hmm. I know that when Ashley Simpson went on Saturday Night Live, 
and got caught miming to her song and everyone was like, oh my God, she's this generation's Millie Vanilli. Yes. And so all I really knew was that they were some duo mm-hmm. who got busted miming. That's right. Yeah. Yes. But it wasn't just a matter of busting, busted miming live. Yeah. Their songs had been recorded by other artists. So no one had actually heard these boys sing or rap at all. Their songs had been pre-recorded by other men who were middle-aged Americans that Ah. didn't look that great. So Millie Vanilli had been created with Rob and Fab to just be the faces to present the songs. That's when gender dynamics works against men. It does, yeah. You get that one, boys. Every now and then it happens. Um, So... The world was absolutely outraged. This was the biggest scam in music history and everyone directed that outrage at Rob and Fab. They thought they were the masterminds, they were the egomaniacs who'd made this happen. But in truth, they were pawns. They'd been manipulated by the producers behind the scenes and were forced to sort of live a lie for two years. It was a nightmare for them and they were paid very, very little money while the people who were behind the scenes made more than half a billion dollars off them. How old were they? 21, 23. So they were just sweet babies. sex idiots. Such naive Hippos. babies. Absolutely. Oh, yep. no. So here's how it happened. This is just the gist of the rise and demise of Millie Vanilli. So it starts off with this big-time German producer called Frank Farian. And if you want a mental picture of him, he looks exactly like if you merged Bill Gates and Donald Trump. <laughs> and he's got this really thick German accent. That's a, that, you just threw that out there and didn't give us a sec to... Picture it. Hmm. Real turtle vibes going on in the face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So he heard this rap pop song one day from an unknown American artist called Girl, You Know It's True. And he liked it, but he knew he could do it better. So he got together a bunch of session artists that he worked with quite a bit and they re-recorded the song with a lot more energy and a bit more soul. And once he was satisfied with the track, he needed some faces to, as he called it, present the song. The session artists were very, very skilled, but they didn't have an aspirational aesthetic. And that was a really common practice at the time, that you would record with session artists and then you'd hire a really hot model, dancer, actor to lip sync and dance. Yeah, to present the song in the film clip and in live performances. Very common in Europe. It's like um, Phoebe Buffay with Smelly Cat. When they got the hot, when they when they had the sing, different singer. And yeah, yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So there were people whose job it was just to look hot and mime. Yep, that's right. Yep. And it was a very economical thing to do because no one was really becoming a star. So you could produce a song and pay the session artists a little bit of money and Mm. then pay the models a little bit of money. I mean, the music industry is all about exploitation. Yeah. And so you probably remember acts like um, La Bouche in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same thing. What? And, (gasps) right, Mm -hmm. there were a CNC music factory. What? Um, I've got the power. Yeah. Singer. Woman in music video, completely different. Get yeah. the F out of town. And Frank Farian had a huge amount of success doing this with Boney M in particular. <gasps> right? What? Okay, this is going to blow your mind. You've all heard Frank Farian's voice because he's the male vocalist on every Boney M song. That black guy was just a model he'd paid to lip sync in all the film clips and the live performances. So 
There was a man in Russia long ago. Get That's Frank out. Farian. He sold 120 million records with um, Boney M. Okay, but here's what I don't understand. Given the spectacle of ourselves we just made, the display <laughs> we just put on, yeah. it is not conceivable to us that we would let someone else be in the spotlight and sell 120 million records. We like don't look like Bill Gates and Donald Trump merged into one. Well, sure, but we also don't look like supermodels. Mm. Like, but we would never, I would never just sing and go, oh, yeah, let, let her go out on stage. Mm. Absolutely not. Well, a bit more background. He had tried really hard to break into the music industry as a solo artist called Frankie Farian. And, like, he released record after record after record and he realised the money is in production, not in performing. And so that's why he decided to make the... I'd still want to perform. He put his ego aside. showbiz, baby. (laughs) So anyway, 1988, Frank was trying to find two young, sexy guys who were going to front this new song he'd created, Girl, You Know It's True. And through mutual acquaintances, he was connected with Rob and Fab. Rob and Fab were besties. They worked really, really, really hard from 1986 onwards to break into the Uh-oh, music industry. Oh, someone's phone's going off. That's embarrassing, <laughs> especially because I'm talking about it. It's okay. <laughs> um, very poor. They lived in the housing projects in Munich. Um, they made a bit of money modelling here and there, dancing in nightclubs. Every now and then they'd get um, a backup singer gig. Um, barely making ends meet, but really hustling to try to become superstars. And when they got an invitation to go to Frank Farian's studio in Frankfurt, they were like, this is it. This guy's the real deal. He's going to make us superstars. They were absolutely beside themselves. They pair, uh, prepared an audition, but when they got there, Frank was like, oh, no, no need for you to sing. Just looked them up and down and went, yep, I would absolutely love to work with you. Oh, I have a question, though. Mm-hmm. Could they sing? They could sing like uh, we can, like I can sing. Later on in their careers, they got better. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So I was going to okay, yeah. all right. So they weren't. But he didn't hear them sing anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, he just offered them a cash advance, a few thousand dollars, put a contract in front of them, and they just wanted to act like they were cool. So they were like, yeah, man, whatever. We're up for anything you want to get us involved in. Sex totally. Idiots. Just went ahead and signed the contract without reading it. Yeah. No lawyers, no manager, no agent, and absolutely no idea what they were getting themselves into. And I like to sort of picture Frank Farian being a little bit like Ursula when Ariel signs the contract (laughs) at this point. Because he just sort of deviously smiled at them and was like, all right, boys, I'll be in touch when we're ready and sent them on their way. They left fizzing like cheap Prosecco. They were absolutely elated. This was their big break. It was going to happen. They had $4,000 each. That was the most money they'd ever had in their entire lives. And they decided we're going to be smart about this. We're going to invest this cash in our image because he's going to make us a superstar any day now. We've got to be ready. We've got to look the part. So they went out and got trendy new outfits and that's when they got the hair extension braids to match that were very elaborate. And they waited and a few weeks went past and a few more weeks went past And then they embarrassingly had to get in touch with Frank Ferry and say, we've run out of money, we need a little bit more, please. And they got that extra cash. And then finally, they were summoned back to the studio. It was time. And Frank played them an instrumental version of Girl, You Know It's True. And they were like, we love it. It's fantastic. It's perfection. When do we get to record it? And he was like, oh, 
we've actually recorded it already with some other vocalists, so we don't need you to sing what you're going to do. Your job will just be to be in the film clip, go on TV shows and lip sync and dance. The funnest part! Exactly. This yeah. is what... <laughs> yeah! Highly enjoyable. Um, and what they were best at, but they were like, absolutely not. That's not what we oh, agreed to. Oh, they had integrity. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aww. They were like, we're artists. Cute. They're artists. And we will not lip sync to another artist's vocals. Yeah. And Frank was like, okay, that's fine, but um, you will be having to give back all the cash we've given to you. And they're like, we spent, we spent it, on it on our hair. Um, <laughs> And so then he was like, well, how about this? How about you go ahead and do the promotional work we've paid you to do? Yeah. And if the song is a big hit, then we'll obviously want to make an album and we'll let you sing on that album. And so they were okay. like, okay, well, this is our only option, but it's a pretty good option because yeah. it's a win-win. I mean, either the song is a flop and we all just move on with our lives mm. or the song is a hit and we get to make an album and our dreams are going to come true. And the song, as a lot of us who are older know, became a phenomenon. It went to number one in almost every country in Europe in the space of a couple of weeks. Hey, Jacob. Yeah? Sing it. Sing it. Sing it. I'll do a better job. <laughs> Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 I love you. And those are literally the only lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, they, the they definitely needed there. professional singers uh -huh. to do that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never heard it before, I feel like I actually hit close to the quality of that song. <laughs> Surprise, I'm really surprised that their songs were hits. They didn't age well, but at mm. the time they were a phenomenon. Rob and Fab were performing in nightclubs every single night. They were appearing on TV shows every single day. They were huge and they were getting their first taste of the luxe celebrity lifestyle. Five-star hotels, first-class flights, women throwing themselves at them. They were living like VIPs and they were really enjoying it. Mm. And they knew they had nailed their assignment. They sold that song. So they were really excited to get back to Frankfurt so they could record the album that had been promised to them. Oh, and when boy. they got there. And Frank was like, oh, boys, while you were out on tour, we just decided to go ahead and record the album without you. Um, it's ready to go. So all we need you to do is just learn all the words to all the songs so that then you're ready when we start dropping more singles, which we're going to be doing next week. So get ready. And the boys were like, nope, not what we agreed to. We are walking away. And that's when things got dark. And he was like, when you signed that contract, that was for a three-album deal. And if you walk away now, I will be suing you and you will never work in this industry ever again. Oh, no. So they were like, oh. That's Backstreet okay. Boys and Sync vibes. Really, Luke yes. Luke Hellman vibes. Very much oh, so. No. So they had a choice. They could either walk away and give up the superstar lifestyle that they were accustomed to very quickly um, and go into massive debt or they could keep up the charade yeah. for a little while longer and see what happened. And so then naively Rob was like, well, if we do a good job with the first album, can we sing on album two and three? And Frank was like, oh, of course you can. Oh, now absolutely. Off you go. Promote the heck out of this album. And he sent them off and around this time, while they were promoting the album all around Europe, Girl You Know It's True took off in New York City, which then meant, of course, it spread like wildfire throughout the US. Mm. And that caught the attention of music industry legend Clive Davis. He Ooh. is famous for making Whitney, Whitney. Houston a star. Yeah, yeah like and he's a big player. Michael Jackson he did stuff with as well, didn't he? Pretty like everyone. Pretty much everybody, yes. Yeah. Um, 
he is one of the most prolific music producers of all time. And he yeah. called up Frank Farian and said, hey, I want to release Millie Vanilli's album here in the States under my label, but I want to make it really big. I want to add in some songs. I want to get Diane Warren on board to write one Ooh. of them. Biggest songwriter in the world, wrote mm. Turn Back Time. She was really hot. And so Frank obviously was like, yes, please. This was his dream come true to have a number one record in the States because Boney M never made it big there. Did Clive Davis at this point know that Millie and Vanilli, which is their names, let's be honest, were miming? He didn't know then, or maybe he knew then, but he certainly knew later. (laughs) So Frank was like, boys, we're heading to Los Angeles. And when the actual rapper who'd rapped on Girl You Know It's True found out about this, he was like, no, this is garbage. He broke his non-disclosure agreement, went to the media and said, I did that rap and those boys did not sing or rap a note on any of those songs. I know the truth. And that was a scandalous revelation that caught headlines for a bit. Yes. So I was gonna, So they, they weren't all just middle-aged uggos who were like, I'm happy to sing in the studio and never be famous. Mm. One of them was like, no, I did that and that's my song. This guy, he was partly motivated. He just went, oh. <laughs> And that's beautiful. Sure. Um, Yeah, he was angry at Frank Farian about something and he also was trying to make it as a rapper in his own right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. A couple of days later, he was back in a headline saying, I was lying. I was just trying to get attention for myself and for my rap career. Not actually true. Yes, it's those two singing on the record. Dollar, dollar bills. $120,000 Frank gave him under the table. Yep. He could have asked for so much more. Probably, yeah. yeah. But this was, what, 88, 89, we're talking. That was a lot of money. It did raise people's eyebrows and it got them starting to pay a bit closer attention to Rob and Fab and people started to realise, wow, when they talk in interviews, their accents are thick and they can barely string a sentence together in English. And then these songs have this flawless American <laughs> accent. This is amazing. So suspicion started to arise because no one had seen them sing live because it was just common knowledge. They lip-synced in their performances on stage mm, because they were throwing do. themselves yeah. around on stage. Yeah, common practice. Yeah. They had this one instance, it was even caught on tape, where, girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl. <laughs> it looped by accident on the track 15 times and Rob was like, oh, panicked and just ran off stage. Oh, oh no, like Ashley Simpson. Yes, completely. <laughs> Um, So, like, everyone knew. They lip-sync on stage, but we've never actually heard them sing Mm. live. So, speculation was beginning, but it really didn't slow the train down. They launched five singles. Each one of them was a global hit. They sold out every show of their 107-city tour of the United States in eight months. Mountains of merchandise they sold. Young girls just couldn't get enough of Milli Vanilli Mm. T-shirts and calendars and posters. And Rob and Fab were living like gods, but they were absolutely shitting themselves because every day they were thinking this could be the day this all comes crumbling down and they were going to be the public faces of the scandal. And also, I mean, as is the case when we did that episode on the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, they may be living like gods, but Mm -hmm. they don't own anything. They're not making any money. Like they're getting put up in hotels and they're getting taken to different Mm -hmm. places to perform, but then their their bank accounts are not increasing. If it all ended tomorrow, they would have nothing. That's right. And they had no idea because they didn't read their contract. Mm. Whenever they ordered room service to their hotel, that was going on their tab of what they owned the production company. So their only comfort at this time was reassuring themselves that 
the second album was going to come and they were going to be able to sing on the second album. If they could just hold on, they'd be able to redeem their integrity when that day came. So for now, they just had to keep up the illusion for a little bit longer. But bless his heart, Rob started to overcommit to the illusion and he started to believe the dream a little bit. Like, and like us in that dance? Little bit, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit worse, though, because he did a Time magazine interview where he said, the reason we're so successful is we are better singers, better lyricists, better performers Uh than Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan. (laughs) I am the new Elvis. Yeah, I bet you're regretting Mm. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why are (laughs) men... His hubris was wild and, of course, it made him a lot less appealing to a lot of people and this is what started a bit of a Milli Vanilli backlash. So Mm. Rolling Stone gave him the award for Worst Artist of the Year with Worst Song of the Year. All over TV, comedians were slamming them and the running joke was these guys are a fad, they're just a novelty act, they don't even actually sing. Despite all of that shade, though, Award season came around Mm. and, of course, because they'd been so successful, they got heaps of nominations. Rob and Fab were genuinely praying that they didn't win. They were so scared of the scrutiny that was going to bring to them, especially if they won a Grammy. But when they did and when they got up on stage, they acted thrilled, but inside they were going, shit, shit, shit. Each trophy they won felt like it was a ticking time (gasps) bomb. The anxiety. Right? And... It's true, the awards were kind of a ticking time bomb because that's what then inspired a couple more of the session artists to come forward and say, I don't care about the NDA, it's not right that they've won awards, that is my voice on that performance and I haven't been compensated for it because they'd only been paid a couple of thousand dollars. And as someone with chronic imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. they are literally living out exactly what imposter syndrome is, like what you think will happen to you when you have that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's every, my worst nightmare. How exhausting. Every day for them was a nightmare and it felt like the walls were closing in at this point, yeah. on them, especially when these session artists came forward and broke their NDAs. So they decided they were going to be really proactive about getting the second album up and running. Without Frank knowing, they'd been working with a vocal coach who was teaching them how to sing and rap in a way that imitated the original artist so they'd be able to convincingly sort of transition into the second album. And they went to Frank and they're like, we're ready, we have to do this now, let's put the first album behind us, focus on the second album. And Frank was like, oh, boys... We've gone ahead and recorded the second album already. This is a way sadder story than what you alluded to at the start, can I just say. Sorry. Hate to end on a downer, but I'll try to give it a fun finish. Rob and Fab were like, we're out. We're absolutely not doing this anymore. We're going to the press. We're going to tell the truth. And Frank was like, not if I get there first. And so he organised a press conference for a couple of days later and announced, yep, it's true. It's over. I fired Rob and Fab. They never made a single sound (gasps) on any of their songs. I thought they got found out, like, by accident. He revealed it. What a... Douche canoe. He was like, it's over. We can't take this any further. We've pushed it as far as we can. And he was really, really mean as well because he said that Robin Fab had auditioned for him, which they hadn't. And he said they were very, very bad. Um, so, yeah, he just completely threw them under the bus. And he said he had no remorse. He just did what people mm. did in the industry. That's showbiz, kid. Like, yeah. this was standard practice. When he dropped that information at that press conference, it was... 
explosive. The scandal became the biggest headline of 1990, with the small exception of the Gulf War that was going on at the time. (laughs) Rob and Fab were absolutely mortified, and every day it got worse because radio stations were organising these parties where people would bring their Milli Vanilli records and they'd run a bulldozer over them or they'd set fire to the pile of merchandise. Like, people were being very, very mean, directing their rage towards Rob and Fab. So they tried Mm. to defend themselves by hosting their own press conference. To open that press conference, the vocal coach got up and said, it's true, the guys didn't sing or rap on their songs, but they do have talent and they could have done it. Please watch this video of them in the studio rapping and singing, Girl, You Know It's True. And they played that. And, of course, the journalists, A, were like, wow, that was really awkward and cringy. (laughs) B, how do we know you're not just lip syncing in that video as well? And then the press started to goad them into singing and rapping live there At the press on conference. the spot. Yes. Oh, my God. I feel like the guy in that Twitter thread. Right. My blood is on cocaine. What? Do they do it? Rob at first, he's like, these mics, they're not great. It's no, just trust the video. Trust the video. We promise. We promise. We would never lie to you ever again. And then like the press just pushed and pushed and pushed. And so then they were like, okay, fine. So Rob sang and Fab rapped and, I mean, they weren't terrible but it's a really hard thing to watch. Like, it's really cringy just because their cool factor evaporates because they're just so desperate in that moment. And then once they'd got that out of the way, they tried to tell their story from the beginning and explain the situation they were in and they kept referring to Frank as a maniac and he's the devil. Mm. And they gave their Grammy back willingly. They were like, we never wanted this. And they thought they would... They were. They were doing the right thing and they were telling the truth, but the media had absolutely no sympathy for them. They were too busy being outraged on behalf of their Mm, fans. And so opinion didn't change around the world. Um, Rob and Fab were just considered to be the frauds and people sort of put the pieces together themselves and Mm. assumed they're the masterminds. Well, once a story like that, once the train leaves the station, there's no changing the narrative mm. really. Once once it gets on the late night shows and everyone's making fun of it and then there's SNL sketches and then people are to- – like it's – that's it. That's the narrative then. Completely. Yeah. Yep. So then they tried to sort of join in the fun and be in on the that's joke smart. with everyone. Yeah. That still didn't work though. Um. Yeah. I mean their reputations were just completely – tarnished and because this was such a hot story it stayed in the media for quite a long time everyone who was involved in any capacity did interviews including Clive Davis who was like I was stunned I can't Millie Vanilli but please not Vanilli maybe Millie but not Vanilli But he knew because, like... He How could knew, he not know? Of course he knew. He knew everything that went on in his studios. He also had conversations with Robin Fab about what they were going to do for the second and third albums Aww. as they were transitioning in. But he didn't need them anymore. He'd made hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars out of them. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. Seven of the 14 million copies of the album they sold were in the States under his label. Oh. And then he just threw the boys yeah. under the bus. And Robin Fab, they've stayed the butt of jokes for years and years. Um, They lost all of the money that they made, which really wasn't a lot. All that money went to paying their lawyers. What did they make, really? Oh, okay. In the thousands? Frank said $2 million. Oh, please. But they never actually got that cash. Like, that was paying off their expenses for their their hotel bills. Yeah, like their hotel rooms and everything. all that sort of stuff that they thought was just magically free along the way. Hadn't considered that. Hadn't thought. Oh. 
<laughs> we need to review our contracts. Um, um, yeah, they lost all the little bit of cash that they made paying their lawyers oh no. because they were bombarded with these ridiculous class action lawsuits from people saying they'd suffered. Oh, because everyone in America can uh-huh. sue anyone for anything. That's right. So I bought your record and... Uh, but it's not I can't fault. sleep at night knowing what you did. But they're just the sex idiots. Yep, they shouldn't have been the target of these... Um, predator yeah. dreads. Mm. <laughs> the lawyers made more money... Than Millie and Vanilli throughout this whole thing because lawyer. Okay, there's this ad. This is my favorite thing that I discovered in this whole research process. There were literally ads on TV saying, "Did you buy or receive as a gift a Millie Vanilli cassette, <laughs> CD, or record, or attend a concert or merchandise? You could be entitled to compensation. Call this number now." Oh my god! That's how they were recruiting people to get on board with this sort of thing. And then, yes, of course, the people testifying were like, "My." daughter has not recovered <laughs> whole thing was a total farce um so yeah for rob and fab it was not great and for frank and clive they felt no impact at all they just went back to making hits and raking in cash and that's showbiz kid that's showbiz and that baby. is just the gist of the rise and demise of millie vanilli and a lot happened after 1990, but we'll save that for another episode, another time, a bit of a follow-up. Where maybe. are they now? They're not both alive. Oh, no. Mm. Is it Millie or Vanilli? <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the follow-up. Oh, oh. oh, no. Told you I'd end on a high. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, here's where I will admit that I did say to you, I could replace you with any co-host unless you choreograph that dance. <laughs> he didn't want to do that, by the way. A few months ago, what did I... Oh, no, what was it? Before Christmas, I said, look, I've got this vision for the opening of the show. Mm. I would like a pop medley of divas. I would like us to do all the famous dances and I would like you to learn it and teach it to me. Okay, see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Which he did. He did an excellent job, No. I agreed to it assuming it was going to be easy because the last time I did something like that I was 17. Yeah, um, in, a, in a school time And show. it's been a little while. Yeah. And it wasn't quite as easy this time around, but it was worth it. Yes. Yes. Very much worth it. All right, Canberra, we have just, what? That's the, yeah, I was just checking the time, yeah. Oh, oh. I thought you were like, <laughs> more? No, I could keep going. <laughs> This has been our first show of the tour. Mm, you were thank the first you. people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To ever see the dance. And I know we said buy tickets to the first show because if we ever F it up, it's going to be this one. So I'm sorry that we didn't. Because <laughs> that would have been a sight to see. But, uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank we you, really you, appreciate you. it. Thank you for wah, listening. Wah, wah. Hopefully we'll be back again soon. Bye. Listener.